Last week, I almost made Jacob quit with our ad reads, and we had Graham Barfield on to talk about very interesting dynasty running back takes. This week, we have one of the GOATs. It's J.J. Zacharyson. He's joining us for rookie and sophomore wide receivers. Can't wait what happens. Thank you for joining us. Let's ride. Baby, it's Tuesday night. That means there can only be one place for your eyeballs on your timeline, and it's right here. This is Full Tilt Fantasy Football. New look, same show. We, of course, are the Full Tilt Dynasty Podcast. As I mentioned, we are joined by one of the greats. Uh, Want to give a quick shout-out, of course, to the sponsors. We're going to pay the bills early so people stay and, and all that stuff and don't go away later. Uh, we also got to give the shout-out to Underdog Fantasy promo code full tilt you know this already trophy smack same thing promo code full tilt we are powered by fantasy points media group and the new canadian sponsor rebellion brewing uh located in alberta we absolutely love them thank you for making the show a little bit more canadian i of course am your host with most time in his hands i am tom simple ff joining me as always is my co-host with the most it's jacob sanderson and again the goat is at late round qb he is J.J. Zacharyson, and last year we got a phenomenal fun fact. And J.J., one thing we like to get all the time, even returning guests, is a fun fact. So I hope you brought a new good one. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I, I don't think you guys had to remind me of my fun fact from last year. Uh, I, I, did, I forgot that I had actually uh, let everyone know that I was in a German, German singing competition uh, yeah. back when I was a junior in high school. This one's not as like uh, as embarrassing as that. Um, my fun fact is that uh, in my past life, before I started doing this fantasy football stuff, in high school and in college, I did a lot of graphic and web design. Oh, okay. Hey, fact. awesome. Hey, we we love that too. Um, do you do um do you do the own your own graphics for uh like your new solo project? So I, um, I, I worked with a buddy who owns his own little shop, um, in Cincinnati. Cause I used to live in Cincinnati. I worked with him at an agency in my, my last job before I started. I mean, this was like over a decade ago at this point, but, right. um, so he helped me with the branding and then, you know, because I know a lot of s design stuff, I can, you know, build off of it and stuff like that. Like I built my website and all that, all that good stuff. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Toronto, Toronto Dave says you're speaking my language and that is 100% true. There we go. Uh, this is, this is my, that's my favorite thing. I can talk like the, the slightest details of moving uh, a font that two millimeters. So that I, I love that, but we obviously, the people want to get some opinions on these rookie and sophomore wide receivers. They seem to be the constant hot topic outside of, you know, what teams drafting Bijan in the first round. Uh, making Jacob's Twitter go absolutely bananas, which is fun to watch, but not necessarily what uh, the people here are interested in. I want to shout out everyone watching and listening. Um, remember, at 500 subscribers, we're giving away that belt. We're getting closer and closer every day, so shout out to all of you. Rookie and sophomore wide receivers. Uh, Jacob, where should we kick off here? Let's just start with JSN, top of the rookie class, or at least is for most people, I believe for you as well, JJ. Um, I think the main question is, is 
I think the two the two most important questions I see with JSN because almost everybody has him one is is he one in a tier with other guys or is he one alone? And then if he's one in Superflex Dynasty, which we're usually almost always talking Superflex, are you taking him over any of the quarterbacks? And are you taking him over Jameer Gibbs? I think become the most pertinent JSN questions. Yeah, so um, I have JSN in his own tier. Yeah, uh, I think that that he's uh, a fairly special player. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't think that we see that out of Addison's profile, out of Quentin Johnson's profile. Um, you know, if you were to look at like what my model's saying, you know, he comps really favorably to like a Juju Smith Schuster, but he also comps really favorably to like a Jamar Chase and Garrett Wilson analytically. I don't think that he is that player stylistically. Um, but he does at least, you know, uh, statistically comp to those guys. I see him more as, you know, a Keenan Allen type player, maybe with a little bit more upside. Um, and obviously if you're going to get a 21 year old, 22 year old Keenan Allen, uh, you're going to spend up to get that and get that kind of production. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, I've seen the take a lot about him being a slot guy and I don't disagree. Like if you, you know, were to, uh, you know, if you're analyzing wide receivers and uh, there's a guy who seems to be just a slot guy, like a Josh Downs or something like that, uh, who is who is a quintessential slot player who might not play on the perimeter. That's a big deal because in two wide receiver sets, those guys aren't going to be on the field. And that limits a player's overall routes, a player's overall participation and volume. And that's what we're really chasing. But at the end of the day, if JSN gets drafted in the top 15, he's not going to be off the field in two wide receiver sets. It's just not going to happen unless that team is just absolutely beyond, you know, idiotic. Um, I do think though that there is like the question mark with him of, can he play the perimeter well? Because we really don't have a sample size of him doing it consistently. Uh, you know, we had that, uh, uh, we had him playing the slot with, with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson at Ohio state. And, you know, I, I do think that there's something to the fact that like he played with Garrett Wilson and, and Chris Olave at Ohio yeah. state in the slot that had to have been one of the best situations imaginable for a slot guy, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, overall he's a, he's a very, very good uh, wide receiver prospect. Uh, I do think that he, uh, you know, is, is, is close to that same tier that Alave and Wilson were last year as prospects. Um, but in my model right now, he's a 97th percentile guy. Um, you know, I know you asked that follow-up about Gibbs versus JSN. Yeah, I think that he's in a tier above Gibbs. Um, you know, I have questions about Gibbs that we can get into if you guys are interested in it. But I, yeah, I have sure. I about Gibbs and his size uh, for sure. And it's not I'm not one of those analysts who like you know he didn't hit 200 pounds, therefore I'm throwing him out. It's more so that there's a lot of uh, of of data that backs uh, heavier running backs doing better in fantasy football. Period. I mean, I I, I sent a, a newsletter out to my subscribers a couple weeks ago about uh, running back weight and how it correlates to fantasy success. So I'll run through that really quick. Cause I think it's just like an interesting topic overall. Please. Um, so basically what I did was in, in my prospect database, I have every running back that uh, has, has uh, either gone to the combine or was drafted since 2011. So there's, you know, 500 plus running backs that I'm looking at and, and analyzing. Uh, and so what I started out was I, I just grouped all those running backs uh, by weight. So I had above 230 pounds, 220 to 229 pounds, 210 to 219, et cetera. And then I had below 190 because there's obviously not a lot. If you look at the rate in which those players fell into those buckets, the above 230 uh, pound group was at like 8%. The 220 to 229 was at 21% and so on. So I did that first. Um, and then what I did was I took that and I looked at how frequently those groups hit 10, 12, 14, and 16 plus PPR points per game across their first three years in the league. 
And what you see is, is that the, the bigger the running back, the more frequently they're hitting 10, 12, 14, 16. And now the, the, the feedback on that obviously would be, well, these running backs, generally bigger running backs are being drafted earlier than smaller running backs are. And so obviously they're going to do better in terms of how many fantasy points they're scoring. And if you're agnostic to draft capital, then uh, that's not really fair to the smaller running backs because not a lot of small running backs are being drafted early. So I then looked at essentially day two running backs, which is pick 33 to 100 is, is what I analyzed. And when you do that, you still get a pretty significant uh, difference in how frequently these weight classes are hitting 10, 12, 14, and 16 plus PPR points. For instance, uh, the weight group of 210 to 219 they hit 14 or more PPR points in one of their first three seasons at a 47% rate. This is, this is of day two picks. Oh uh, when you look at the, the 200 to 209 class, that goes from 47% to 15%. And then when you go to the 190 to 199 class, yeah, the sample size overall is not large, uh, but there hasn't been a single running back that has gotten the 14 plus PPR points among that group. And so, you know, I, I sort of view this as like how I viewed Kenneth Walker last year, where there was a red flag to his profile. It didn't mean I'm fading the dude, but there's a red, there's a red flag to his profile. Maybe in some rookie drafts, there's going to be a guy who likes him. You know, maybe I'm in like the 25th percentile of Jameer Gibbs fans out there as a result of that. But, you know, I'll, I'll probably still get him in some leagues, but it's just one of those things where I do think that it's, it's not right and fair to just ignore the weight uh, because it is something that does correlate to fantasy success largely not because of how I feel about these guys as pro if I had Jameer Gibbs on my team, I'd feed him the rock all the time. It's, it's more so that NFL head coaches and teams just don't give players that kind of work. And the work is what we worry about in fantasy football. So safe, safe to say it's JSN over Gibbs at, at yeah, Jacob's yeah. question. So, so, so in, in, in conclusion, JSN is in his own tier above Gibbs right now. Yeah. We love, uh, yeah, no, that's absolutely well, phenomenal. Well, I want to get into that though. I want, first on on JSN individually, like I I agree. I like I don't watch a ton of wide receiver film in particular. So like earlier in the draft process, when you had people that were more well versed in the Debbie film, saying like this guy might run four six, he's probably just a slot wide receiver. Like, and then you'd see the mock drafts of him going late one. People were saying he's behind Addison, he's behind Quentin Johnson. I was kind of more than inclined to believe them, right? Like I was like, yeah. I don't really know. Checks out to me. But now like. We see him destroy the agility drills. He comes in with alpha size, lower end, but pretty strong size profile. And then he runs well. Like, you know, it's a pro day time. I don't even know if an official time was reported, but he runs roughly around four or five. I don't see any particular reason why he can't play outside. Like if you just look physically at his profile, one of the reasons for people saying he couldn't play outside is because he would run a four six. Certainly didn't run a four six. He seems comparable enough from size and speed at this point to a Stefan Diggs. He seems pretty comparable from a size and speed standpoint to CD lamb guys who can play inside, but certainly can also play flanker. Um, I, I feel pretty optimistic about JSN ceiling, um, but I want to talk about Gibbs too. I don't know if you have anything to yeah, add to that. I, I want to add one thing about JSN too, is that I've seen a lot of people talk about Justin Jefferson with JSN because Justin Jefferson right. played the slot, you know, that final year at LSU Jefferson had a full season playing the perimeter before that. So I don't think mm -hmm. that it's necessarily a, a, an apples to apples comparison. And not only that, but Jefferson ran a really fast 40. Like he was very fast yes. coming mm -hmm. out. That, that's really what boosted him and got people to get excited about uh, Jefferson is that he was so fast. I agree with you though, that like a CD lamb and, and these guys who, uh, you know, they're, they're again, going back to what I said earlier about slot players, like if they're not playing hundred percent, like, like a, a very, very good wide receiver, like a lamb or a JSN, you know, they might play, let's say, half of their snaps or half of their routes from the slot or whatever, Keenan Allen throughout his career, right? 
right. they might play like half of their or run half of their routes from the slot. Doesn't mean that they're slot players that they're incapable of playing on the outside. It just means that they're going to create these mismatches because they're really, really good when they're in the slot because their mechanics, uh, you know, you know, in that area of the field. I just think exactly. for fantasy. Oh, sorry, sorry, Jacob. For, uh, for no, fantasy for players it. specifically, it sounds like when a, a player is quote unquote labeled a, a slot wide receiver, there's immediately it's al- it's almost like its own stigma, like uh, running back under two hundred pounds, or it feels like it has its own kind of set category that people seem to scoff at when really the slot targets are pretty nice in today's NFL. Sorry, Jacob, go ahead. I think when we think like if I was to call someone a slot wide receiver, right, that's to me usually like a guy who struggles to beat man coverage. He's really reliant on beating zone coverage. He's a lower ADOT player. He comes off the field in two wide receiver sets. I mean, maybe that's ASN. Like I'm not going to say it's entirely out of his range of outcomes, but I think that would surprise me if that one wound up being his result. Um, I will touch on Gibbs though. I, I like Gibbs a good bit more than, than you for a couple of reasons. One is just, I think that a lot of, you mentioned that the sample size is really small in terms of uh, no pun intended with small, but the sample size of small players is pretty small in terms of the draft capital that he's expected to get. And when you go out a little bit further, I, your, your database goes to what? Is it 2011, 2010? Yeah, so the model was built with uh, the, with 2006 and forward in mind, but I date back to 2011 when I'm just speaking on comps and stuff like that. Yeah, right. So I think what's interesting to me is that you go you go a little bit outside of that, and you do bring up some I think more optimistic options where you have a Chris Johnston who comes in, a C.J. Spiller who comes in, um, uh, Reggie Bush who comes in, although it was a pro day time. Uh, on him and specifically the guys who are posting a in that 190 to 199 range or sorry i had it sub 205 people that are posting sub 205 pounds and in particular the ones who are also combining that with a strong receiving profile so going back to 2005 drafted round one round two sub 205 with a receiving yard share over 10 percent we have chris johnson cj spiller reggie bush isaiah peed christian mccaffrey giovanni bernard and then presumably jameer gibbs I think what's exciting to me with Gibbs is seeing him come down with the four, three, six. I think you can make a separate point from him from like the peds and the geos and guys that I think really look more like satellite backs. When you compare average 40 times at a really low weight guys that are performing really, really low in terms of speed score versus a Gibbs who comes in a four, three, six. I do think there are some upside comps out there. I don't think that the weight should be, a I think it's certainly a fragility piece. If he was 210 and his profile, everything else looked the exact same. I would be exponentially more excited to click him, right. but I, I still feel pretty optimistic about the ceiling. And I certainly wouldn't look at it. Like I wouldn't look at some of those running backs who succeeded in, in the early and later two thousands um, and say like, Oh, I don't think those running backs could succeed in today's NFL. I think if anything, it's probably more likely that running backs like that could succeed in the NFL or they could succeed even more. Like I'm not sure that the game has changed in a way that's worse for small running backs. I think it's just not that le- often that we get these small running backs with this specific special set of skills. And we happened to get a lot a long time ago and now Gibbs comes in and there haven't been one more recently. So I'm, I'm a little optimistic on that sense. And then the other thing I'd add is just that the market loves rookie running backs. Mm. Like they are very optimistic about rookie running backs going into year two. Like we, you just mentioned with Kenneth Walker is a a great example where the thoughts on him coming in was he's probably going to be a really good rusher. He might not catch a lot of passes. And then he was a pretty good rusher. I have like some little nitpicks about his profile, but whatever. He was mostly a good rusher. And he didn't really catch a lot of passes. 
and, and the market doesn't care. Like the market's already baking in whatever positive assumptions we want to bake. And we've seen this happen before with Miles Sanders, with Josh Jacobs, even carry on Johnson boosted his ADP year one to year two, like the running backs with good pedigree and good capital, if they are managed to stay healthy are typically such a strong value bet year one to year two, that I'm just really interested in taking a peek at Gibbs this year and then trying to make a decision in the off season in terms of how I want to play it moving forward. But with his pass game receiving upside and with the value security that we tend to get out of rookie running backs, I really want to peek behind the curtain and see what we have out of him as a potential rusher, because I think that the market tends to be pretty optimistic and baking in whatever you're missing your one to year two anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all fair for sure. Like I, I don't disagree with any of it. Uh, I, I think that, you know, if I'm analyzing him as a player, that's the concern. That's the red flag. Uh, you know, I, you know, obviously there's, there's been, I, I don't want it to be sold as like, there has been a ton of these types of running backs that have come out, but you know, I do think that in situations like this, it's really easy to, um, you know, look back historically at a Gio Bernard and Isaiah Pede and say, oh, they weren't that good of prospects, but coming out, that's how people viewed them is that they were looked at fairly well. I mean, they, they looked decent. And so, you know, I do think that Gibbs is different than them. I think he's more explosive than them for one. And I think right. that's a huge, huge differentiator. Um, I, I just, I see it also, again, I, I don't want to like, I mean, I have him right. It's just the difference of like, I see JSN here, right? I don't see mm. Gibbs in the same tier, but technically when I'm making that pick, I'm making the Gibbs pick at the same time that you would be pick, picking Gibbs. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, I, like, I actually am taking Gibbs ahead of JSN. Are you taking him over JSN? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So now okay. I don't know. Well, I'll put it this way. In a vacuum, I would take Gibbs ahead of JSN. If the draft happens such that ADP is that JSN goes ahead of Gibbs 90% of the time, then I'll do that because I don't want to have like do you no think, JSN. Do you think but that, if, if we were drafting in a vacuum, I prefer Gibbs to JSN. So I'll ask this. I'm, I'm, I don't mean to be the, the interviewer on your show, but <laughs> no, please, that's, that's fair. I'm curious because I think Go it's a good it. discussion because a lot of the stuff that I've that I've looked at with regard to like higher end pieces at running back and wide receiver, obviously, you know, once you get into like the top 50 startup dra uh, of a startup, which is basically, you know, where we're at, obviously with a JSN or, yeah. or a Gibbs, when you get there, the, the appreciation year over year gaining value is like 60 plus 60%, right? Like, like you're yeah. going to, you're, you're gaining value more way more often than you're losing value out of those players. So is the argument then for Gibbs over JSN largely, the value piece, because I would also argue that JSN has just as good of a chance to increase that value, or is it just that you see flaws in, in what's going on with JSN? I don't have any issues with JSN's profile. I think he's a phenomenal wide receiver profile. Um, to me, it's about, it's, it's two aspects. Like to me, it's a positive Gibbs take. It's not a negative JSN take. Um, it's for me, it's two aspects. One is that the running back year one to year two we tend to see a safer value floor in that the market is very, very optimistic about filling in the gaps. They just get their touches. And generally when we see running backs who still are in some form of a timeshare, such as a Javante Williams, a DeAndre Swift, a carry on Johnson, they are still usually getting the rest of the way paved in by the market in a way where wide receivers, for instance, like looking at last year's class, I think Drake London and Chris Olave had way more impressive rookie seasons as wide receivers than Kenneth Walker had as a running back. And Kenneth Walker goes ahead of them in almost every single startup. And so to me, I would rather bet on what I think is a lower threshold. JSN 
probably needs to have, I think, a more transcendent rookie year than Gibbs needs to have to have fairly comparable value moving forward. And then in a vacuum, like I was okay not taking Walker. Like I took I took London and Wilson ahead of Walker last year in rookie drafts because I didn't have a major fear of missing out on Walker because I thought that the chances that he was a 20-point-per-game type of league-breaking running back was lower. With Gibbs, I don't think that it's like likely. I don't think it's likely anybody's going to be a league-breaking player as a rookie. But the receiving profile to me is so tantalizing. We're talking about a guy with the best season receiving yards market share up over 19% that I think if he manages to get the role that we've sometimes seen out of these running backs, like a Christian McCaffrey, like a Jamal Charles, like I'm so excited about that upside that I don't want to miss out on that. So I kind of want to take him for a free peek, see what we get out of his rookie year. If it looks like he's just not performing well as a rusher, right? Like DeAndre Swift's the guy where he kind of got the role and we kind of saw through two years, like this guy's really good in some areas. He has some flaws in some other areas. I I was more interested in peeling back. But I want to take the free peek at Gibbs and see if we have a chance for that league-breaking ceiling that I think is less dependent on environment. Whereas JSN, like Drake London had a freaking awesome rookie year. We'll talk about him. JSN could have that good of a rookie year and score like 12 points per game. It, he's so extreme. Maybe he's a bad example. But Chris Olave is another one where had a phenomenal rookie year. wasn't really winning leagues right away. And it's harder to project that upside out of that position. So I'm I, I'm in on Gibbs for, for those reasons, but it's not an anti-JSN take. I, I like JSN and I like JSN enough. That, like I said, if his ADP is solidly every draft, he's going before Gibbs. I'll just go with the market. Cause I, I'm not willing to have 0% JSN at all. Is, so, is uh, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just, I was just going to ask then. Uh, so it's, it's Jacob, what it sounds like to me and maybe for some people listening, uh, it's, it's more about um, safety with uh, Gibbs. I mean, no rookie running back drafted in the second round has lost more than three spots of ADP the year over. Like, I mean, even James Cook likely won't either. Um, but is it is it's it purely not, just the safety? Because and, and about, then I, I have I have to ask, what happens if it it somehow happens that he's a round three pick? Does it completely change? Well, everything if it's a round for three you? pick, it completely changes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this that, is, this would be premised on his. Like his current, I think, over under draft capital is like 36. So this is premised on okay. the idea that he's a late first or an early second. If he's not that, then his profile would look a lot different. Um, it's not about safety. really. I think JSN is a safer pick than Gibbs from a long-term right. perspective. Like I think it's easier for Gibbs to fail than JSN. But I think that the market provides us some insulation on Gibbs. And I think he's the higher upside pick. Like if I had to bet which one of these guys I think has a 20-point-per-game ceiling, I-, I would personally take Jameer Gibbs just because he plays running back and he catches a lot of passes and he can contribute on, on every play. But I, I think that JSN is probably the safer pick. I just think that the market gives us a lot of safety to get a free year one look on some of these running backs. Is there, is there any concern? Cause I, I think honestly, like, obviously I don't care about situation and dynasty nearly as much as others do. But um, I do think that in the current running back landscape, there is a ton of questions about like, I could back up to the point about Kenneth mm-hmm. Walker and say, I mean, a lot of the reason why Kenneth Walker is ranked where he's ranked is because of scarcity slash yeah. just what the running back landscape looks like right now. And if you right. look at the running back landscape in total and totality, you could also argue that Gibbs is someone who we know is not going to be a bell cow, right? Like, like Gibbs is not, he's not going to see early down work right. that often. Like he could maybe be an eight to 12 carry guy, but he's going to see a lot of looks through the air, uh, you know, a la DeAndre Swift. Um, but I, but I do think that there's some fear that the 
running back uh, market right now is is becoming so like like look at teams across the league, right? I mean, everyone has a running yeah. back. Everyone has multiple running backs, and then this is a deep class. I mean, there's there you know we don't we don't see it all right now with this class, in my opinion. Like we there's just a bunch of dudes that could be day two guys. You know what I mean? Right. And then we'll kind of see where draft capital ends up, but because there's just so many dudes that scares me a little bit too, that the, 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 the chance that JSN, uh, you know, falls to a place where, um, you know, yeah, he might not appreciate and value the same way. And like, there's just a more extreme case for Gibbs is essentially what you're saying, because there's, there's the, also the, a, a chance that situationally Gibbs ends up going to one of these spots, which there are many where there's someone established there Maybe he doesn't show off that much year one. And even though, like, trust me, I agree with you about Kenneth Walker. I think that as a player, probably overrated. I mean, his, all, worst success rate in the league, one of the, or mm-hmm. the worst rate of gaining zero yards last year, uh, zero or more yards, I should say. So he was stuffed at a really high rate. Uh, didn't have a great receiving, uh, great receiving numbers overall. Like, I get it. I'm with you with Kenneth Walker. But at the same time, like, he was still putting up these monster weeks for people. And that's really what they, like, see within the market. And then I look at Gibbs and I'm like, I don't know if that's going to necessarily happen right away year one. And that's where my, my fear would be. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's landing spot dependent, right? I think any running back is, but I I think for the most part, like, I mean, subject to change post draft would be like an asterisk that I would put on like any rookie draft take that I have at the moment. Um, So yeah, if he goes like, if he goes late too, and he's in a bad spot, but let's say, I don't know, let's say he goes, what's his draft prop right now? 36 let's say he goes 35 to the Arizona Cardinals. Like that, that seems like a fairly reasonable um, pick within his range of outcomes. Like I, I would get quite excited about that in that scenario um, okay. or, or anything in there. Like I, I think a lot of it's just, as long as he gets the high enough draft capital, then I'm going to be pretty excited about his year one workload. I mean, we mentioned Javante Williams. Javante Williams is like a top three ADP running back coming off a year. He split 50, 50 with Melvin Gordon. Right. Like I think that. I mean, so, yeah. I mean, to answer this question, right. There are still remaining pockets of optimism for James Cook in year two. Uh, James Cook has gained level, ADP. Need, I mean, James like, Cook's a round eight pick. If Gibbs is a round eight pick, that's that's a disaster coming off of. No. Well, I just mean he's gained positional ADP coming off of six points yeah. per game because rookie running backs who play gain value. Period. Like that's that's the base. Yeah, line. I just all I mean, you need to look at I, for a rookie running back is getting on the field, and they will gain value. It's sure. just it's a guarantee. So that's one thing. Uh, little little bonus rookie running back talk on the rookie yeah, sophomore rookie yeah. wide receiver and sophomore wide receiver. But we love it. We're gonna look. We, I see the questions and I see the comments, and we love you all. We're gonna take a quick break. Okay, it's just gonna be real quick. Give you guys a little break from our voices, and we will move on to the next portion. We're gonna answer some questions and get things. Uh, well, continue rolling with the show. Sit tight. Three seconds, Jacob. Okay, we are all hands on go on this show. Let's let's get to some of the the questions and comments here before we keep going. Isco is saying, "Sheesh, what an all star crew tonight!" I want to see a JJ versus Jacob argument. We kind of had a nice little discussion, just, not an argument. We'll I think that's I think that's the closest thing we'll get. I yeah, agree. One, with, that's why I wanted to talk about Gibbs. I, I think I agree <laughs> with most of the rest of your takes. So I one hundred percent. For a little bit of context, JJ uh, with Jacob's profession. Uh, being in law, uh, we have a little bit where we have a people versus RTDB uh, in a courtroom setting, and uh, they go at it. So one day, we're going to see if we can get you day. on there. Nice. Well, one day. 
Uh, seems like slot only plays matters the uh, only role routes you can earn or win on. Uh, true, we went through that. Yeah, We're going to get over that. some of the outside wide receiver stuff. Uh, we did get cut on that. Um, Joseph has a, a random question here for you, JJ. It says, off theme, but curious JJ's take on prioritizing elite quarterbacks, tight ends for Dynasty Superflex team building. Uh, if you have a quick thought. Yeah, I mean, for for Superflex, I'm I'm cool with going elite quarterback for sure. I mean, I if you look at my rankings over on my Patreon, they're definitely quarterback heavy. Uh, tight end's a little bit different. I'm I'm usually a little bit below market on tight end, uh, just because of the way they appreciate and value slash the way that we sort of project the tight end position. Um, you know, I actually did a podcast that dropped yesterday on the late round podcast that talked about this. This is more, yeah, nice nice little uh, tie in there. Uh, but this nice. is more. Uh, geared towards how we should approach it in rookie drafts. And essentially, you know, tight ends uh, appreciate and value year one to year two at a far worse rate than running backs and wide receivers do. But then on top of that, they don't have near the the ADP ceiling and startups that running backs and wide receivers do. So, you know, if you were to take a tight end in round two, um, you know, over a running back or wide receiver, that running back or wide receiver has a much higher ADP ceiling and startups year two than that than that tight end would so if i'm going after a tight end and i love this class i mean i built i finally have a tight end model mm. that i feel pretty good about and I, I love this class uh and you know I, I would not fault anyone for going after some of these guys in this class but i'm much more inclined to like go after like third round tight ends in rookie drafts as opposed to going after like a michael mayer or something like that fantastic i muted myself on the new uh <laughs> new little studio piece of equipment here uh you're getting clowned here a little bit there, Jacob. Man, doubted oh. Kenny Bullets. I mean, I, I still doubt Kenny Bullets, but um, <laughs> this is, uh, but it is, it is what it is. Uh, we have a question but from Corn, Corn Sack. Uh, okay. Also, do you think any potential landing spot combo would sway uh, your opinion? Like, is there any anything that for, could but... flip you? Uh, this would My be, answer uh, is yes. Jason and yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I mean, I, I I think with Gibbs too. One thing to keep in mind, like if Gibbs goes to Kansas City, it's like you know, like rocket ship emoji. But like if 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 uh, if if Gibbs goes to a place that has a locked in mobile quarterback at at starter, I'm bad. I'm, really I'm going to be very nervous about that. Yeah, that would be something. Yeah, that that would be my largest issue too. Is is if he gets that situation because we need to be probably creating upwards of ten points per game through the air. I think to hit yeah. like a league winning ceiling out of him so yeah like if he goes to the eagles at 30 that's 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 bad news right right we have a question from brian seeing a lot of garrett wilson is talk such about a... your two wide receivers in a second yeah this is this was see there you go we're gonna lead right into yeah. right into the year two wide receiver conversations with this question from a loyal supporter brian question seeing a lot of garrett wilson is such a sell but i don't know he could be a top three four dynasty wide receiver this time next year maybe a buy if you can find the right situation question mark which will lead me into jj your opinion on the uh the gap between wilson alave london compared to what the market has or yeah so i i have a i have a year two model uh which looks at you know uh production inputs from year one plus a player's prospect score so um, you know, I published that in my prospect guide, uh, so you can see all the scores of relevant players and stuff. Uh, Chris Olave ranked as the best wide receiver in last year's class within that model. And what it's trying to do is predict how well a player does in year two and year three of their NFL career. Uh, Chris Olave had the best score. 
and then Drake London and then Garrett Wilson. Now I don't blindly follow this model. I use both of my prospect and my year two model as a guide more than anything else. I'm just trying to make sure that, you know, when I like something or a a certain player and, and, and have them ranked a certain place that it matches roughly with what the model is saying. So then I'm not like so far out of whack. Like last year, uh, I wanted to force Sky Moore over Jahan Dotson, but my model liked Jahan Dotson a good bit up above Sky Moore. So I just refused to sort of like let that happen in a lot of my drafts. But um, so that's sort of the way that I, I use these models. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I think that Wilson, Alave, and London are all cornerstone pieces to, to your dynasty mm-hmm. rosters. Like if you can get any of them, that's great. Um, is Garrett Wilson a, a, a a buy right now. Uh, I would rather be going after a Drake London or a Chris Olave than Wilson, just because I think their range of outcomes across their entire career uh, is very similar uh, just based on their year two score and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and I believe that, that, I mean, and I, I know that Drake London, especially uh, is the cheapest of the three, whereas Garrett Wilson's more expensive, but I can still make the argument that Wilson is a little bit, you know, like one or two wide receiver spots, uh, too cheap sometimes in startup drafts. And yeah. I just think that Garrett or that Chris Olave is even more of a, of a uh, value. And then I think Drake London's even more of a value than that. So uh, I love all three of these guys. They all ranked very, very well. I think, I think Garrett Wilson's going to like the reason why I could see him being a buy honestly right now. Cause I know that the sentiment is like, Oh, you can sell them. Like if I could get like Chris Olave plus or Drake London plus sure. I fine. Go that route. But I can understand the Garrett Wilson situation because if, if, and when they do get Aaron Rodgers, we could see just an immediate bump. Uh, and he's going to probably produce the best of those three uh, in year two. And so you're going to see that value rise more than likely year over year, but all three of them, like, I, I just, I can't say anything bad about them because I think that they're, they're mm-hmm. true cornerstone pieces in dynasty. Yeah. Insane that we got yeah. three in one class. Yeah, I think, and I, I think that that's almost affecting the price. Like I almost think that, I think I talked um, about this quickly before on Twitter with you, but like I, I think that these three had some of the most impressive rookie years that we've seen like over the last decade plus. Yeah. And I think the fact that all three of them happened in the same year and that all three of them had pretty unserious quarterback play has led to us like not entirely appreciating how yeah. good some of their years was. Right. Like I think that some, when you look at not their points per game, but you look at almost anything else, or, or you look at the whole of the process with points per game added in or whatever. But, you know, when you start looking at yards per route run, target share, targets per route run, yards per route run, PFF receiving grades, anything else that you might may or may not input into how you view these guys, like they're popping to me in the same vein as Mike Evans is, as maybe not OBJ level, but among a lot of the best wide receiver seasons that we've seen in the last while, it's just they didn't, really score that many fantasy points, especially because Drake London played one of the most ridiculous offenses we've seen in the 21st century. Um, Olave's offense didn't even throw all that much and didn't throw particularly effectively. I, I think personally, I have all three of these guys actually in my top six dynasty yeah. wide receivers right now. Um, and so I don't think that Garrett, to, to me, the only way Garrett Wilson is a sell is if it's a super flex situation and you can use Garrett Wilson's value to turn him with not that much extra into like a Kyler Murray or something like that. Mm. That's really attractive to me, but uh, simply among wide receivers, I think Garrett Wilson's ranked fine. It's just the other two rookie wide receivers to me are, are much more attractive bets. And in startups, the spread like gets artificially large. So in a startup situation, I, I want to be picking in the early fourth targeting London and Olave if I can be, as opposed to Wilson in the late second. 
Yep. Nope. I absolutely love that. Um, nope. I hope Brian, I hope that answers your question, buddy. Uh, that's, that's some of the most thorough, uh, breakdowns of a question like that. <laughs> You'll hear that's phenomenal. Uh, look with our, with our addition of Gibbs, uh, being added, uh, it, it kind of threw me off JJ. We tend to, we, we kind of skipped a question or two that we had here that I'd, I'd kind of like to backtrack on. That's my fault. I know I got it. Uh, but <laughs> Uh, we have here uh, written down uh, back to the rookie wide receivers. Uh, we have, after talking JSN, do you have Quentin Johnson or Jordan Addison? I have Jordan Addison over Quentin Johnson. Um, I, I, I understand the allure with Johnston uh, and, and his, his upside given size, all that good stuff. Uh, but I, I think that, that oftentimes when we look at uh, sort of our floor ceiling projections, when we like inherently do that, uh, it, whether it's within our own brain or if we're doing it mathematically, what have you, we just get it wrong a lot of times, especially mm -hmm. at the wide receiver position where we just assume ceiling equals massive wide receiver who has, I mean, supposed speed. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, Addison's a, a really, really good prospect. He's just super, super solid. Uh, comps for me were like Calvin Ridley, Jahan Dotson, T.Y. Hilton. It was hard to find like early declare type guys that have like his exact kind of profile, but. Um, yeah, I mean, he had uh, obviously Bolitnikov winner, uh, at my, at my alma mater, um, and, uh, held a pit and, uh, you know, just really, really good production across the board. Whereas Quentin Johnson just has a lot more question marks. You know, I, I, if you look at my, in my prospect model, uh, the three production metrics that go into the model are receptions per game, best season receptions per game, best season, uh, yards per team pass attempt and best season touchdown share yards per team pass attempt definitely gets the most weight. Uh, the other things are there to just kind of like like equalize it if if a guy is just uber efficient for uh, playing in like the Big 12 or something like that. But um, basically, if you look at first round wide receivers who had a sub two and a half yards per team pass attempt rated in their best season and a, and a sub four and a half receptions per game rate, you get Kelvin Benjamin, Cordero Patterson and Henry Ruggs. And then and that's Quentin Johnson falls in this category for the record. And then Oof. if you take that one step further and you just look at players who had a negative stat score. Uh, in the model, which is a below average production score. Basically, there's a lot of other inputs in the model that get more weight than just the product. Like it's not just a production based model, but um, the other guys are those three that I just mentioned. So Kelvin Benjamin, Cordero Patterson and Henry Ruggs. But there's also Kadarius, Tony, Philip Dorsett and Jalen Waddle. And we know that Jalen mm -hmm. Waddle is somewhat of, a, of an anomaly in terms of his college production and where he went in the draft and then how well he performed. So, uh, you know, Quentin Johnson's not in the best company in terms of his production profile. It's good that he was able to do it early on uh, in his, yeah. uh, you know, collegiate career. Um, and, and if you look and if you extend that to like the second round, instead of just looking at the first round, you start to get more hits. You know, you can loosely look at like a DK Metcalf, but I think T Higgins is like his go-to high-end comp. He's the number one comp for, for Johnson in my model. Um, so that's like the high-end comp, but other comps that he has is Alec Pierce and Brashad Perriman. So things could really go that direction. And that's what worries me. So I, I'd rather play it safe because I think, again, we, we sort of mess up the floor ceiling analysis that we do. And we think that a guy like Addison just can't have a ceiling. Um, but oftentimes they still can. I, I agree with you. I'm on Addison um, as well. It's, it's interesting because Johnston, I think, looks... I think he's going to be split amongst the data community because I think a lot of people who are more focused on thresholding in their models and, and what they do are probably going to come out liking Johnston more than I think the more scalable models because he did come out, have the early production. 
I like Addison more. I think his profile is more impressive overall. And the only thing I'd add to the ceiling, I agree with everything you said about people sort of misassigning what equates to a ceiling. I think it's especially true at wide receiver. Like to me, it's pretty easy to say the easiest path to a ceiling at running back and quarterback, which is the ones who produce on run plays and pass plays are the ones that have the easiest path to a ceiling A wide receiver. That's obviously mostly impossible except for, 2021 Debo Samuel so you're generally like how many targets can you earn and where can you earn them and you know I don't think that we have enough proof really that um we can be overly certain in our takes about that I also think you know going back to a market view of this like a lot of the jobs of rookie wide receivers is like to gain value and then decide what you want to do with them right so like if you draft Jordan Addison and he's good and he moves up in value I think that you can then make a determination later if you want as to his ceiling, or you can try to sell him for somebody else. You can use him to package with other stuff and upgrade for an elite quarterback or tight end or superstar. Right. But I, I think he's a, a better bet to, in my opinion, do the job that a rookie wide receiver is supposed to do, which is flash gain value and allow you to evaluate moving forward. Um, than Johnston, who I think is a higher risk option. Yeah. Okay. I love uh, what, that. What do you, what do you look at? Um, I think I, I think I, I tried to make this PG 13 for our, our honored guest. Um, so I think I put this as make love to Mary kill. Uh, but among the, uh, the tier three of the wide receivers um, between, which I think for most people at least is downs, Hyatt and flowers. Although if you have somebody else you want to insert in here, be my, be my guest. Um, who would, uh, who would you make love to? Who would you spend your, the rest of your life with? And who would you, uh, unfortunately dismissed from the planet yeah so, <laughs> so i would i would make love to zay flowers i think um you know i actually think that flowers can be okay uh, i know he's not an early declare i know he's smaller in size but you know uh he played only 33 ran only 33 percent of his routes from the slot uh during his final season um he can play the perimeter and we've seen guys uh that are smaller inside i think that a lot of times like people just make assumptions about size and yeah, there's going to be some some archetyping going on and typecasting going on with some of these guys coming out and and, and teams throwing them into certain roles. And that's definitely um, you know somewhat of a worry with a guy like Flowers. But you're going to want him on the perimeter because he's winning on the perimeter and he's a big play threat on the perimeter. And you know I think that there's obvious you know there, there's some uh, there's obvious red flags in just his size and, and the fact that he's an older prospect and uh, you know he, uh, he he's not an early declare all that good stuff. Um, but I do think that he has an opportunity, at least within the context of this draft class. Like if this was Zay Flowers in last year's class, it just wouldn't he, he like I would like Dotson more than him, I'm sure. Um, that was the one know, I was gonna question is how different you see those two. Like facially, they kind of have somewhat similar profiles. How much how yeah. much better do you like Dotson? Or how much more did you like Dotson? Yeah, I mean, I like Dotson more, especially after he got drafted in the middle of the first round. And I don't know if Flowers right. is going to have that kind of capital. So I, I think that we'll statistically, like if I were to look at what my model is saying, I would guess that it probably favored Dotson slightly without the draft capital. But with the draft right. capital, it would just favor, you know, Dotson was like a 94th percentile guy last year. I think Flowers right now with like a 20 in the 20s projected draft capital is like a 92nd percentile guy. So, you know, they're fairly so similar, kind of in the same percentile. It was 16 they'll look pretty similar. What's that? Like if flowers were to go where Dawson right. went 16th. Overall, right. Like right. Exactly. Exactly. Flowers. So they, they would look, they would look fairly similar. Um, and you know, Dotson obviously had a fairly good rookie season. And I, you know, I don't think that anyone's like mad if they got Dotson in their rookie draft, but you know, flowers at this point, the film guys really, really like him. 
Um, wow. And so, and so there's that upside too, that we're, that we're looking at with flowers. The, the, the Mary option to me, you go with the, the safe, you want to be around that person all the time kind of option. And it's Josh Downs, right? I mean, it's just like the, the go-to slot guy in this class. He's like a spitting image for me uh, to, to Elijah Moore. I, I mean, mm-hmm. like analytically and statistically and size wise, all that, um, you know, the difference, obviously, you know, Elijah Moore is just so weird because coming out, um, you know, I, I liked it. My model loved Elijah Moore coming out and I still was drafting him and all that stuff. But, you know, I had concerns about his slot role and the fact that he would be forced to only be a slot guy at the NFL level. And then his rookie season, he played like 28% of his snaps from the slot or something like that. Something mm-hmm. fairly mm-hmm. low. I don't know if that's going to be something that happens with downs. Um, but I think that downs is being drafted where he's being drafted. Cause he's very, very good at what he does. Number one. Uh, but it's also just a weaker wide receiver class overall, you know, um, and, and, and Elijah Moore was not part of that. Um, and so uh, I do think downs is a, a safe option. He'll be a good, you know, hopefully cross our fingers. He finds a team that runs a lot of 11 personnel that throws the yeah. ball a lot that he can just be that dude and, and gobble up a lot of looks through the air um, on a per target basis. So I, I like downs. Uh, I would, I would love to marry him. Um, and, you know, I don't want to kill Jalen Hyatt. I think that he's a, a good guy, but, uh, yeah, he would be on, on that side of things for me. I just think that there's a lot of weirdness to his profile. Um, you know, one of the comps for, for Jalen Hyatt in my model is Jamison Williams. And the reason for that, yeah. look at the size, almost identical. Look at the the breakout, almost identical third year breakout because, you know, Jamison Williams is at Ohio State. Um, but you can make a lot more excuses for Jamison Williams than you can for Jalen Hyatt as to why it happened the way it did. Jamison Williams playing behind three legitimate legitimate studs at Ohio state. And then he goes nuts at the biggest college football program in the country. Um, and so, you know, I think that there's some concern about Hyatt. He's obviously, or he's, he's seemingly not as quick and fast either. Um, and he had a lot of manufactured weird touches to playing the slot. Like their their offense is, Yeah. I mean, their offense is genius. Like I, I like adopted Tennessee as my like team to be a fan of because i'm in canada and i like the colts and i was like where did peyton manning go and then i just decided to pick the most depressing college football fan experience for the rest of my life but could be a rutgers fan i didn't give it up um so like i lucas who's also a vols fan is in the chat um and he likes hyatt i think more than i do i i appreciate like the joy that he brought to my life this year i had him in college fantasy like on all my college fantasy and c2c teams and it was so much fun especially when I played my buddy who was an Alabama fan, the game that Tennessee beat Bama and Hyatt had like five touchdowns. So I also beat him in fantasy. That was great. But yeah, I, so much of what he was doing was like, they clearly wanted to get the fast guy, the ball in space. And their offense was like, he was literally just lining up behind dudes on some of yeah. these touchdowns where it's like, yeah. he's lined up behind someone. They're like setting like a pick, like it's a basketball play. And he's like coming around for a corner three and he's wide open and he's walking to the end zone. I think he's a bit limited. I, I thought he was going to run faster than four four zero, but to me, if like that's the trump card trait, and I mean four four zero is fast. Like I, I feel like some people have like overreacted. It's very fast. It's just if his <laughs> trump card trait was being faster than everybody, and he's not actually like crazy fast. He's just really fast. Uh, it's it's a tougher sell. But I I took him actually in I'm in one pre NFL draft rookie draft. And I had to take him at the 202, both flowers and downs were gone. And I was like, well, at least like, I feel like he's going to get draft capital. So like, he's probably going to retain 202 value ish, but he's probably not a priority for me. Tom, do you have any takes on these guys? Sorry. Sorry, JJ. No, I was just going to say, that's the weird thing about, about like, like when I published my prospect guide, people were like, 
I thought this was a good running back class, but you have running backs ranked so low, like so low in, in comparison right. to where they thought. But the reason is, is that I'm, I'm doing that off of, if you were to draft right now today, and yeah. there's this lump of, of running backs that could go day three, could go day two. Whereas we know that there's going to be these six wide receivers that go in the top 50 pretty confidently, you know, like we, we feel even downs, like we feel pretty good about downs going around that area. And Jalen Hyatt, I mean, could easily go in the, in the late first round. So like, well, and that's like the fun part is like, where are all the best landing spots, right? Like, wouldn't yeah, it be great right. if he, cause like, if he goes to like the chargers or the bills or the chiefs, then all of a sudden, like you're, even if you don't have interest in holding him, like you can probably get a, a decent number of straight where it's like, if you take, I don't know, tank Bigsby, it's like that, that could vaporize in your hand, like immediately. Yeah, 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 exactly. My, my biggest take on these guys, I, I have the hardest time with flowers. So I think Hyatt and downs are pretty kind of self-explanatory. Hyatt not being an outlier in his speed, like Jacob was saying, um, it, it hurt him. Like he, he ran fast, but it wasn't outlier fast. So I think, I think Jacob nailed that right on the head but uh flowers is the, the player that i have the hardest time with because like jj said the film guys really like him with some guys friend of the show and guest a couple weeks ago uh uh d bro uh mr brown Loves was saying him. yeah up to two. wide receiver two in the class now for him yeah. and that seems kind of crazy high to me Sh- uh shout out d bro um so i have a hard time like i really want to trust some really smart people in the film game that Say that he deserves there was a time that, that he was an analytics then... boy. After his second year, he was like a he was a total computer nerd, bro, in Devi circles, and right. and now he's been he's like been reborn as a film guy. It's it's interesting. I mean, to be fair, like my model doesn't mind him at all. Like right. my mo- my model, he's well, a ninety. He's, he's right now because I I you know update draft capital throughout the you know, months and stuff. Even though I'm not updating my prospect guide, um, but. Yeah, I mean, like, like he looks good in my model mm-hmm. right now. He's like a 92nd, 93rd percentile guy. He's right there with Flowers. So, like, I, I, I don't want to say that I'm going to fade him or anything. I just think yeah. that there's more, more flags to his profile right now than the other two guys that are that were mentioned. You know, right. So um, that that's one of the reasons I have such a hard time with Flowers. So I'll probably end up being on the on the team fade. Uh, I prefer um, every other wide receiver oh, yeah. aside from Hyatt that we've mentioned uh, to him and. Uh, uh, our de- our our Devi guy John's probably gonna have at it for me for that. JJ, is there one more thing? Is there any sleeper rookie wide receiver like someone that someone can get in on now if they're yeah. psychos and doing their rookie drafts now uh, that could maybe give them an edge? Yeah, uh, Jaden Reed is my my favorite nice. uh, yeah. sleeper at wide receiver. Uh, so it's, he's he had a pretty weird journey because he started at Western Michigan. And, uh, there he, uh, he transferred after a season, uh, and he went to Michigan state, but because it's transfer rules, he wasn't able to, um, to, to play Michigan state right away. So he was at in college a pretty long time. Now this class is filled with geriatric wide receivers. So like, it's not that crazy that Jaden Reed is, uh, you know, 23 years old or whatever and coming out. Cause there's a ton of that. If you look at what he did, so he had a, a good breakout because, because he, he, perform really well Western Michigan and as a freshman. And so over the last two drafts, we've had two Western Michigan wide receivers go in the second round. We had Sky Moore last year yeah. and we had D Eskridge, which was one of the most horrific picks. I mean, it was a Taekwon Thornton of, of two years ago. Awful. Uh, we had D Eskridge go in the second round, but he did get second round capital at the very least. He was going to yeah. you know, go in maybe, maybe day two, but at least early day three, a very good college wide receiver. If not. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was fine. He was yeah. just older than, than, I mean, he could be all of our, our dad. 
Uh, so, so I mean, like he was, he was an old wide receiver. Um, but when yeah. Jaden Reed he was actually was the same kindergarten class as Hedden Hooker. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. my goodness. You would believe yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so, so Jaden Reed's freshman season at Western Michigan, he outproduced D Eskridge, who was a junior at the time. And then, mm-hmm. so Jaden Reed leaves to go to Michigan state. He has that year off essentially. And sky Moore then enters Western Michigan and he enters Western Michigan in a very similar situation, same quarterbacks, all that, all, all that good stuff. Sky Moore enters Jaden Reed's freshman season at Western Michigan. He had a better yards per team pass attempt than Sky Moore did as a freshman there. And then you look at what he did as a, as a wide receiver at Michigan state, pretty solid production across the board. He was used in a ton of different ways. He was used on the ground, uh, but he was also used as a kick and punt returner, which is not an input in my model, but it does get signal like mm-hmm. more subjectively. Um, so yeah. he was used everywhere. I mean, that's a good signal that, he is a good wide receiver because they're trying to get him the ball. And then I started looking at my comps for him and the top comp was Cam Phillips, which, okay, bad comp, whatever. I put realistic comps in my, in my, my prospect <laughs> guide and stuff. Uh, that was the number one comp. Number three comp was Tylen Wallace, which again, not the best. The number two comp. Oh man. Was, I had the high comp for Tylen Wallace back in the day. Shout out. Buddy. Oh yeah. Yeah. The I number two Tyler comp Wallace. for Jaden Reed was Stefan Diggs. And I'm sitting well, there yeah. and I'm like, wow. Okay. So this guy has a profile where he was comparable, if not better than second round picks historic, you know, over the last two years, he then transfers and has a pretty good uh, collegiate profile at a good program in Michigan state. Oh, and by the way, one of his top three comps is one of the best wide receivers in the game. So all of that combined, I think he's a very good sleeper. His projected draft capital is higher than people. Like he's been creeping up into like on NFL mock draft database, like into the, into day two. And so Right now, he's just not even. I mean, people in the fantasy space really aren't even drafting him at all. And so, uh, I think Reed is someone that everyone should should have an eye on. I like that call. Yeah, I remember uh, he. I remember him having having some really strong production a couple of years ago with Michigan State when he was really popping on like some yards per team pass attempts charts and mm-hmm. stuff when in the Debbie community. I, I'm interested in him, and by all accounts, like he's also seemingly helped bridge the gap between film and analytics across the global to bring peace to our streets. Um, it was formerly a, a, a beloved data sleeper, has a lot of film backers, especially after the senior bowl. So it's always nice someone um, bringing peace to our international accords. And uh, Jaden, Jaden Reed seems to be doing that. Um, yeah, I probably, I don't know if I had to, there's no like late wide receiver that I really like. I think Marvin Mims is too good to be a sleeper, but I think that his profile is like quite sound. Um, I, I will like, I will homer pick Cedric Tillman as a guy who I think is just a better player than Jalen Hyatt, having watched them both for two years. And I think that he was clear any time that they were both healthy, the offense ran through Tillman. And then Tillman, for lack of a better word, fucked his ankle. Uh, and then they pivoted things around to work things around Hyatt. I understand, of course, Hyatt's younger, has a better profile. But any time that Tillman was playing at Tennessee, not on a bum ankle, he was extraordinarily good. He was playing clearly next to another NFL player in Jalen Hyatt. I, I do think he's an interesting profile um, that hasn't gotten a ton of buzz. Um, so I, I, I like him a decent amount too. Like I, I'm more interested in his profile, I think, than like a Rashi Rice, for instance, is a guy I think who's generally gotten some more buzz. But I like the Jaden Reed call a lot. No, I absolutely remember. And Jacob, I don't know if you remember this, but we had Scott Barrett on last year who was talking about Reed when you were discussing Sky Moore. So yeah. I love how that a year later right. comes right back around. Yeah. Look, uh, that was That's fantastic. Yeah, We're going to take another quick break and we get back. We have a nice little surprise. We already have 
the first ever uh, Full Tilt Fantasy Football caller. He's on the air. We've talked to him. Uh, we're going to live caller question for JJ. Sit tight. Real exciting. Okay, Lucas, it's all you. You're on the air. Question live for JJ Zacharyson. Hey, JJ, love your work. Uh, I was curious with your second year wide receiver model, how you take into account wide receivers who didn't quite meet expectation. Uh, you talk about ADP and performance expectations all the time on your show. So someone like Sky Moore and you have George Pickens and Traylon Burks, who all hit that expectation in varying ways, whether it's we're really bad or really good. Like, does your model take that into account? And then what you're expecting from them in year two? Yeah. So, you know, the model itself is looking at uh, how a player was as a prospect. So it'll take the prospect score, you know, Sky Moore had X score, which translated to an 86 percentile, um, you know, prospect score. George Pickens, you know, was like an 82nd percentile guy or something because his production in college wasn't very strong. Um, but then it looks at how those guys did in year one and it takes some inputs like yards per team pass attempt in year one is, is one of the, the inputs. Uh, yards per route run is one of the inputs. So the, the stuff that we know is fairly predictive for how well guys are going to do moving forward. Um, and so, you know, really what the, what the model is doing is saying, okay, this guy uh, performed this well. And based on history, here's how players uh, have done in year two and year three who have had, you know, whatever score gets spit out for the year two model. Um, and so generally speaking, you know, you can tell a lot about a rookie wide receiver or rookie player in general by how well they did their rookie season. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, you know, you could even just straight up look at points per game if you want to, if you want to keep it really, really basic. And guys who score more points per game as rookies are generally going to be better throughout the rest of their NFL career. It's very rare that we get like a DJ Chark, let's say, who is one of uh, Sky Moore's com uh, journey comparables. And I think that's where uh, sort of that, that year two model stuff can really come to uh, and, and give you some context is that what I do is I look at a player's prospect score and then I look at his year two model score and I'll, I'll find players in history that went through a similar path, a similar journey as that player did. So Sky Moore, for instance, you know, he has this 86 percentile, uh, you know, uh, score uh, as a prospect. And then that drops down to like, I think it was like the 75th or something percentile score in his year two model. Other players that are in that realm are DJ Chark was one, which, okay, he's a semi, like he was okay enough, Terrace Marshall and Andy Isabella. So it was, you know, a, a situation where we've seen this happen before. And you can do the same thing with like a running back or something like that, where, you know, Elijah Mitchell last year, the model pointed him out as a sell because historically, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, we don't see it very often, but of the running backs that we see, you know, sort of go from in the sixties and the percentile ranges from a prospect score standpoint, to in the mid eighties, the guys who were like that all didn't really pan out long-term. So uh, it's really just looking at how those guys performed in the peripherals in year one. Uh, I mean, it's predicting year two and year three output, and it does it at a better rate, a much better rate than what raw points per game would be able to do. No, I absolutely love that phenomenal answer. We have uh, again, again, huge shout out, huge shout out for Lucas. That's something that we're going to be able to do for our discord subscribers and, and, and beyond going forward. We love that. And thank you for JJ for giving us that uh, opportunity. We love that. Uh, we have the sexy Zay flower oh, yeah. comes to Antonio Brown by the film analysis crowd. There's always one every single year and it never pans out are starting to turn my head. The comps may be unreasonable, 
but they get attention. They he, he caught this unreasonable. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chandler That's wants bad to know news for his draft capital. Yeah, uh, Chandler wants to know, God, why didn't oh. Jaden Reed declare last year? Now, this is something that maybe after, uh, had maybe there's a lot of bars before. in East Lansing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. And um, okay, we have one more break, and then we have our final bits of the tier, the the year two wide receivers. We're gonna flush this out. We still got a little bit of ways to go. So shout out to everyone again. We see your messages. We see your comments. Keep them coming. We love you for it. Sit tight. Okay, Jacob. Well, I greatly appreciate Lucas uh, because even though we got lost all over the show sheet, Lucas let us right in with a question about a year two wide receiver. So that was nice. <laughs> um, we talked about the elites. Yeah. We also talked about Dotson a lot already, but uh, the model, I, I remember you were um, – you were teasing potentially calling it your mom on Twitter instead of um, oh. <laughs> instead of your model, <laughs> but um, your mom slash model um, had higher scores for Pickens and for Dotson than for Burks and for Watson, which that's a nice little rhyme action there. Um, I'm curious, how does your model balance some of the full time wide receivers like a Dotson, like a Pickens, who were essentially running all the routes? Their stats reflected pretty much everything that they were we were able to do on the field in year one versus some of the part-time wide receivers with a higher per route metrics, which in this case would be Burks, Watson. And then I guess my follow-up to that is, do you agree with the model in terms of if you were on the clock, which wide receivers are you prioritizing more going into year two between those? And I'll throw Jamison Williams in here too, because he's in a similar tier, but I know like obviously the model has no idea how to handle Jamison Williams. He didn't play. Yeah. It's a weird case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the model does not like Jamison Williams. And, and a lot of that is obviously he didn't do anything in year one. And so it's impossible for it to like him. But then, you know, the other thing too, though, is that like, again, think about what this is trying to solve. It's trying to solve year two and right. year three. And so because of that, availability does matter. You know, a player who wasn't able to perform in year one and wasn't active and wasn't on the field, uh, he's a little bit behind just naturally, right? It's why we don't see, we, we really have not seen a first round wide receiver since 2011 miss most of the season or at least half of the season and then end up being a very consistent fantasy piece in year two or year three. Uh, the best comp for J like a guy like Jamison Williams is probably Mike Williams, but he didn't really get going until like what year four, year five or whatever. So yeah. Um, and, and he still really hasn't gotten going. I mean, he's not like that amazing of a fantasy asset. Um, and so, you know, to your question though, you know, how do you balance, you know, someone like a, uh, a Burks or a Watson who did X in yards per route run, let's say. Um, Cause you know, I think that you can look at yards per route run as a it's, it's agnostic to how frequently these players are on the field. Right. Cause it's only looking at how, how well they did when they were, when they were on the field. Whereas uh, another metric that I'm using within that model is yards per team pass attempt and yards mm -hmm. per team pass attempt is a metric that if you're on the field more, cause I'm not doing it on a per game basis or anything. When you're on right. the field more, you obviously look better within that metric. But I do think that that the reason why this works within this model uh, is what I just talked about. Number one, uh, you're you're looking at only year two and year three. So players who are getting a lot of run in year one are likely to continue to get a lot of that run in year two and year three. And I'm not saying that Burks and Watson won't, uh, but I'm saying yeah. that it's a lot safer of a bet for guys who were already doing it so consistently in year one to be able to continue to do that across a larger, larger sample, right? Like we don't always run into a situation like Christian Watson or Traylon Burks, uh, you know, every single year. 
that's the first thing. But, but also, um, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's yards per team pass attempt is sort of encapsulating uh, uh, target share and, and volume statistics, which are predictive uh, as well. And so, uh, you know, that gets, gives guys like Dotson and Pickens a bump. Um, you know, I, I do still look at these guys on an individual basis uh, and I don't necessarily rank them just based on what the model is saying. I will, if there's gaps, like I said earlier, like Jahan Dotson mm-hmm. and Sky Moore last year was like, oh, you know, maybe I should think twice about how I'm handling the situation. Uh, whereas, you know, these guys are all separated by basically two percentage points in, in terms of, of percentile score. You know, it's like 91st percentile to 93rd, 94th percentile. Um, so I don't have it ranked the way that I have it ranked. And my, like my dynasty rankings are not the same, uh, you know, as the year two model is right now. I have it Watson, Pickens, Burks, Dotson. Um, but I do think that because of the year two model, I am higher on Dotson and think that he's a better buy than what others might believe because the, the year two model does like him. And, and like a guy like Pickens, I I've sort of done, um, you know, a really, I've done sort of like a 180 on him this off season. I started, he was a he was a sell for me on my sell show in January because I thought that people yeah. sort of viewed him as this like definite alpha kind of wide receiver. Whereas I don't necessarily see that as his like like as a reasonable outcome for him. I think it's there. But then I started digging into his situation a little bit more. And if you look at like yeah, if you look at his traditional season long yards per route run number, it looks really not great. I mean, in the context of like I mean, him and Dotson both didn't look very good in yards per route run in in, in comparison to where people have them in the market, especially Pickens, um, you know, Dotson's already sort of has that like depressed ADP as a result of that, but Pickens doesn't. But if you look at what the Steelers did during the second half of the season, after their buy, where they opened things up a little bit with Kenny Pickett, he played a lot better during the second half of the season versus the first, the Steelers were arguably the worst offense in the league during the first eight or nine weeks of last year. Mm-hmm. And they turned things around George Pickens yards per route run during the second half of the season was like 1.66. It was totally fine. It was, it was good. Right. Uh, I think that there's some concern that his target share didn't really shift when Chase Claypool yeah. left. That's definitely a, an issue. Um, but if you look at his peripherals overall, aside from target share, which is obviously a very, very important peripheral, but if you look at his peripherals overall, really not any different than Deontay Johnson, who we all would say is at least a good wide receiver, you know? Um, and so, you know, Pickens, Pickens still looks decent, you know, from that perspective, from the perspective of like yards per team pass attempt, because he was on the field all that or a whole lot and stuff. Um, so I, I, I don't mind Pickens as much as I uh, selling him, at least as much as I was selling him mm-hmm. earlier this offseason. Um, but I do have Watson over Pickens right now just because I think the ceiling is a lot higher for him. Yeah, I'm really into Christian Watson. I, I think what's compelling to me about him is like I, I wrote about it in the summer last year about some of the issues with uh, specifically targets for route run. And I think a lot of it applies to yards for route run as well. Uh, but I, I think that there's what's encouraging to me about Watson is it wasn't a scenario like Burks did not really have a a long run as a sustained full-time player. Like he sort of started as a part-time player and then it felt like each time that he became more of a full-time player, then he just immediately got hurt again. Like he just never really had like a a continued stretch where he was a full-time player. And so I don't really feel like I have like a reasonable sample in which to judge him as a full-time player yet. Whereas Watson it was more linear. It was like yeah. he first half of the year, he was either hurt or part-time. And over the second half of the year, he was a full-time dude. Like from weeks 10 through 18, he was over 80% of snaps in every week, except for the one he got injured in the second quarter against Miami. And then he yeah. was like a game time decision the next week. And he, so he didn't play that much that week, but otherwise like when he was healthy, he was actually running all the routes. 
And he was really productive. Like he was up over two yards per route run. He was at 23% targets per route run. To me, it's like if he can just kind of sustain, I don't expect him to sustain the efficiency necessarily, but if he can just sustain the target earning volume, that 23% targets per route run over a full sample as a full-time player, which he already was, I feel like he's already so much closer to that alpha dominant wide receiver than where Pickens and Dotson have to get to from closer to 15% targets per route run type guys. I'm really interested in him. And I, I actually probably like, I'm curious. I'd like to hear why you prefer Pickens to Dotson. Cause to me, they're like almost twins. Like if I look at a large chunk of their stats, like Pickens uh, is uh, 15.6% target share, 0.145 targets per route run, 1.38 yards per route run. Dotson's like the exact same. It's like 15.9% target share, 0.149 targets per route run, 1.39 yards per route run, graded out higher by PFF. I'm interested to see what Harmon has to say too. I didn't, I think I didn't I realize like they were that close. I think why I like Dotson a little more, A, I liked him more as a prospect. Like he had a higher production ceiling in college, had the higher draft capital. And I think there was actually more linear progression from him as a target earner in terms of, he was running all the routes and he was like luck boxing touchdowns for the first part of the season. He gets hurt. He comes back. He was like really bad for a couple of weeks when he just came back, He's probably still kind of injured. And towards the end of the year, like he was consistently earning targets more. I think a lot of Pickens yards per hour increases came from more efficiency than more volume earning. Like his targets per hour was pretty stable over the course of the season. So I think I can tell myself maybe an easier picture of Dotson than Pickens that I'm curious why you go Pickens over Dotson. Yeah, so one of the reasons is uh, if you compare teammate situations, if you compare a McLaurin, who is better than Deontay Johnson, don't get me wrong, but if you compare a McLaurin to a Deontay Johnson, the delta between what McLaurin did in his peripherals to what to, to, to Jahan Dotson versus Deontay Johnson to George Pickens, Pickens was Pickens was basically identical to, to Johnson aside from target share. I'm talking like yards per route run, et cetera. Yeah. Um, he was much closer to, to Deontay than, than uh, Jahan Dotson was last year. I mean, it was not even close. I mean, Terry McLaurin had a really, really underrated season just in general, as he does basically every single year. Um, so that's one reason. The other is, you know, Dotson does look slightly better in the year two model. He's a 93rd percentile. Pickens is like 92nd point five or something like that. So it's very, very close. Um, wow. But Pickens, you know, again, this works off of a player's prospect score. And Jahan Dotson did have a better prospect score coming out. Pickens showed that means that Pickens showed a lot more growth in terms of going from prospect score to year two score than Dotson did. Um, and so I just think with with Pickens and the way that the style that that he brings uh, and just what he does as a player, uh, I just think that there's a, a slightly higher ceiling than what you're going to mm-hmm. get from Dotson. And that's really the difference for me. Uh, but it also goes down comes back to like how they perform versus their teammates. And again, I'm not saying that like Terry McLaurin is is uh, the same as Deontay Johnson or anything like that. Uh, but Deontay Johnson, I, I still think is a very good wide receiver. I mean, I, I still I like think Deontay Johnson. I don't know yeah. his efficiency. That much I, I think Deontay Johnson's also, yeah, I think Deontay Johnson's a screaming buy right now too. Yeah. But like, like it's just, it's one of those situations where if you give George Pickens proper context, he really did not have, you know, it wasn't like a stellar season. I think that it's easy to get fixated on that target share number, which is important. Like it's very important. Uh, but Jahan Dotson had the same problem. Uh, right. And then, and then on top of that, like I said, we at least saw Pickens, um, you know, see that 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 bump and that increase in yards per like his yards per hour run during the first half of the season was like 1.07. It was horrible. Right. Um, it was horrible. And, and then, and then it was like 1.66 during the second half, and so it was a lot easier to to buy into that growth a little bit with Pickens. And then he has the 
alpha size, all that good stuff. Um, that's at least pretty intriguing. Have you looked into Dotson's yards per run over the course of the year? Because I, I remember, like, I, I don't have it offhand, so I can't say. But I, I remember, like, over – I remember looking at Dotson after whenever, like, the second update I did to my sheet, like, halfway through the year and being like, oh, this guy's not very good. He's just scoring a lot of touchdowns. And then, like, a month later, I was like, oh, this guy's starting to look a lot better. Um, but I can't recall the exact stats. But he definitely had a higher targets and yards per run over the second half. I just can't Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's generally what happens with yeah. – with- with right. wide receivers um and and, yeah. and players in general is that they'll the rookies will do better in the second half of the year it's just that pickens was just so glaring uh because it's, yeah. it's being brought down so much by that that front half yeah that's very true like completely different aspects for both players but like you said it generally does happen uh that way for this the second half well that's that's Pretty much everything we have in the show sheet, uh, Jacob. We know we have to get you to class. Okay. Uh, that's sure. that's always the that's always the time. Just have a couple more. Um, obviously, in the comments, we love you all. Every year, I fall in love with late rookie wide receivers and end up taking them oh, over more prudent do backup RBs who inevitably gain way more value. I guess this year it'll be Reed and Tillman, and then we I'll just have one. Yeah, <laughs> we have one more uh, question uh, from Brian. Can you elaborate on thresholding oh. models versus more projectable models? I love my model people more and more the longer I'm in in Dynasty, but not sure I understand that distinction. If you have a quick answer, uh, that would be fantastic. Either yeah, I, I can answer it if that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I think because I think Jacob mentioned that whenever he was answering one of the one of the questions, but. Basically, like you know, my model is is linear regression model, so it's looking. Uh, it, it's a it's basically a. Um, it, it doesn't really have many thresholds in it to say like this guy. You could think of it as like buckets too. It's it's almost an easier way to think of it that way. Where like like a lot of times, if uh you know like something that's in my model that I've noticed is helpful is if a running back is two hundred and ten plus pounds and has a reception share above ten percent in his best season, you could hypothetically boost that guy up. Uh, and give him a higher score. Uh, and that would be thresholding because you're saying this guy hit mm-hmm. this threshold and therefore he's going to get a better score. And the problem, you know, mine's more free flowing. My model is because it's all just based on this percentile uh, look. So it's like, you know, this guy is a 92nd percentile. This guy's a 92.3 percentile, et cetera, et cetera. So there's more of that like uh, progression. Whereas with the threshold stuff, a lot of people will throw guys out if they're not unable to hit like a two and a half best season yards per team pass attempt or something like that. And he's mm-hmm. not able to, to get there. And that's, you know, honestly, if we're being, if we're being transparent about it, that's part of the problem with like dominator and stuff and those types of metrics is that they're not bad metrics. Like there's nothing wrong with them, but, and, and I'm using breakout age with a 20% dominator in my model. Um, but the, the problem when doing that is that it is a threshold because someone could have uh, a 19% and all of a sudden isn't able to break out in that season, but there's really not that much of a difference between, one to the other. So that's, that's the issue that you can run into when you're thresholding versus just being kind of more free flowing with it. I'll, I'll just add slightly more context is the way when I brought it up, it was in relation to Quentin Johnston. And he's a guy where a, a lot of times when you look at sort of the checkbox style models, he checks a lot of boxes. Like he has the early mm. breakout. Um, he's an early declare. He hits a lot of, it depends what your production threshold is. But depending on where you set it at yards per team pass attempt or dominate or whatever, he clears a lot of that. And so it's easy to see him as like as a guy who kind of checks every box. And so for some of those models, he's going to pop a lot better than I think he will in a model that's more scalable, where essentially if, if your model takes into account more of the ceiling of, OK, how many yards attempt per team pass attempt did you have versus did you have X amount yards per team pass attempt? 
Um, mm -hmm. I think Johnson's going to look worse in the former um, than in, in the latter. Yeah, and I, I think if you have, if, like he kind of he kind of hit, and he was a kind of a plateau yeah. in terms of his physical profile. Yeah, you know, like if you have enough inputs when you're doing more of the threshold stuff, like if you just had like 20 inputs of something and it was predictive in some way, like you could, uh, and that does that's enough of enough inputs where if if guys across a larger sample, you're probably going to still come out with with reasonable uh, answers within your model that are going to be comparable to what what like my model is saying, right? But the issue is more so, and this is something that I ranted about on my podcast a couple weeks ago about taking metrics too far is that it's very easy to get fixated on like one or two things and, oh, this guy didn't hit this mark and therefore I don't like this guy uh, when you really should be thinking about it in more with, with a little bit more nuance than that. Hey, phenomenal answers. We love that. Uh, Brian appreciates it. Evan appreciates it. JJ, we absolutely love when you come on the show. This is, uh, we're obviously big fans and listeners obviously 100% appreciate it. I like to get some final thoughts. So final thoughts on today, final thoughts on the rookie draft coming up uh, before we get out of here. Draft some Jaden Reed, man. Get get some Jaden <laughs> Reed late in your drafts. That's my that's my final thoughts. I, I truly think that he is a uh, you know, one of the one of the very, very few later round guys, or you know, at least from a rookie draft standpoint, a wide receiver that, that could pop. Well, I have I I'm, like I mentioned, I'm I'm currently in a pre-NFL draft rookie draft. So I already mentioned, I already picked Hyatt at the 202, but I still have the 212, the 302, the 306, and the 402. So maybe uh, I'll earmark one of those last two for Jaden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacob's definitely picking him up after I today. Will. I will pick Jaden Reed. <laughs> uh, Jacob, final thoughts? Oh, man. Um, I don't know if I have final thoughts, but this is this is probably like the best time of Dynasty Twitter all year. Embrace and enjoy it. Uh, especially if you're in Canada, the weather isn't quite nice enough yet. So mm -hmm. you can like still spend time just grinding on a spreadsheet and not feel that bad about yourself. Um, and we're about to get into draft season, which is the best season and then rookie draft. So um, just keep enjoying it. Enjoy playing dynasty and yeah, have fun up there. Thanks a ton, JJ, for coming on. This was an absolute um, uh, treasure. Again, the, the fact you're always well willing to do this means a lot. So yeah, it's again, 100% appreciated. Uh, just have to do, a little bit of clearing out. Obviously, again, we mentioned the sponsor before, so shout out Underdog Trophy Smack, Fantasy Points, and Rebellion Brewing. We love that. Next week, mm. our run of guests continues. We have Noah Hills. We're going to talk running backs, some controversial intakes, and some maybe a more agreeable. Can't wait for that. Have to defend the honor of Jameer Gibbs for a second straight week. <laughs> Can't wait. I think Noah would actually qualify as a Gibbs hater. I don't know if JJ is a Gibbs hater, but uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm Gibbs ag agnostic. I think. There you go. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll DM, I'll DM Noah. Maybe we can get a people VRT DB set up. I want to shout out everyone in the comments, everyone watching, listening, subscribing. We obviously couldn't do this without you. My final thoughts are always this fantasy football. Uh, it doesn't have to be that hard. It can be a lot of fun. You should enjoy every bit of it. Uh, while we have it, it's just absolutely phenomenal. And of course, I want to remind everyone that uh, little. I, I just want to make JJ feel a little bit more at home today. Their <laughs> hearts can't lose, and your best days are always spent tilting. Good night, everybody. Yeah.